Rabbi Moshe Goldberg, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, was a beloved Rebbe at Orchaim for more than 25 years. He was an educator, role model, and friend to thousands of Talmidim. Rabbi Goldberg inspired students, alumni, and community members to live a life filled with the love of Yiddishkeit, Torah learning, and Yerat Shamaim. On his second Yortzeit, Rabbi Eitan Aviner delivered a shir in the Zchut of the beloved Rebbe and shared memories of Rabbi Goldberg too. Okay, uh, good morning, everybody. Um, I want to start with the question of really why uh, why we're here, why we're learning right now. It's a yard site, or the yard site was yesterday. So what's what's all this? Uh, why, why are we getting together to learn? Uh, and I want to share something uh, a little disturbing that happened this last week. Um, on, on my news feed, I got this weird article about this uh, this guy in Florida who wanted to uh, remember his uncle who passed away. So he, uh, so he took his skeleton and he made it into a guitar. He got it treated and made it into a guitar. Now this is disturbing on many, many accounts. It's disturbing because it appeared on my news feed. So some type of algorithm thought that I'd be interested in this article. That's number one. Um, I clicked on it, so I must have been right. But what's more disturbing is that somebody viewed that this is a good way to commemorate somebody, that to take the essence of their life, which was, which was you know, metal, which was hard rock, and to commemorate and make a, a guitar out of it was, was disturbing to me because that's not, that's not what life is all about. And I want to share a story that happened with Rav Goldberg, actually one of the, when I first met him uh, three years ago, the beginning when, when I came on Shnichut. So we had a, um, it was a, a teacher orientation. It was a teacher orientation. And at the orientation, we had, um, it was kind of like a, a speed meet the teacher thing. We all were in a little square. Okay, and we, you had to sit, the inner circle stayed the same and the outer circle moved around and you had two minutes to sit down and talk with the teacher in front of you, get to know each other. If you maybe know the person, you can get to know them a little better and move on. And as I'm going from teacher to teacher or staff member to staff member, it, what's my name? You know, I grew up in this place. This is what I do at the school, blah, 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 small talk, small talk. And all of a sudden I get to Rob Goldberg. Rob Goldberg's sitting across from me. I sit down and he looks at me and he says, Oh, he grabs my hand and he pulls me closer. He didn't say, hi, I'm Rav Goldberg. I grew up in this place. He immediately says, he says, I got to share something with you on the Parsha. And he starts telling me a Dvar Torah and his face just lights up and he's holding onto my hand, not letting me go and just sharing this thought on the Parsha. And then the person who's running the thing blows the whistle. Everybody gets up to move and Rav Goldberg's holding onto my hand. He's not letting me go. He wants to finish the idea. He finishes the idea and I move on. And that was the whole that was the whole meet with Rav Goldberg, because for Rav Goldberg, that's who he was. He wanted to share Torah with you. It didn't matter, <clears throat> you know, where he grew up, what school he went to. What, I have a I have a shot on Torah. I want to teach it to you. That's who I am. So I think it's very appropriate that the way that we are commemorating uh, Rav Goldberg on, on his yard site, who he was, is to learn Torah together, because that's what Rav Goldberg would have wanted, uh, and that's who, who Goldberg Rav, who Rav Goldberg was. So with that, um, wanted to share, uh, kind of discuss together some ideas about the afterlife. This is a share sponsored by the Rutman family, uh, and we're very appreciative um, to their sponsorship. So there's a big uh, what to do, the whole discussion in the Rishonim, the Achronim, even nowadays, how do we make sense of what happens after life? We have all these, the Torah itself is very, very um, 
sorry, this is the wrong document. Okay, the, the Torah itself doesn't really say much, but in Chazal, we have all these terms. We have Olam Haba, we have Tchiat Hametim, we have Gan Eden, Gehenim. How do all of these work together? What is each one? So I wanted to discuss that and learn that sugya together uh, with all of you. Um, what I think we're going to see is that there are basically more or less two different paradigms on how to make sense of all of these things. Um, and, and they're night and day from each other. So let, uh, let's get started. So what is Olam Haba? We'll see the Rambam. The Rambam, as head of the rationalist, has a very unique uh, uh, way of looking at, at all of these things. It's not just him, it's also, um, it's also Sefer Yikarim. Uh, and the Rambam says like this, this is from Hilchot Shuba. The good that is hidden for the righteous is the life of the world to come. This will be life which is not accompanied by death and good, which is not accompanied by evil. The reward of the righteous is that they will merit this pleasure and take part in this good. In the world to come, there is no body or physical form, only the souls of the righteous alone, without a body like the ministering angels. Since there is no physical form, there's neither eating, drinking, nor any other body function, bodily functions of this world like sitting, standing, sleeping, sadness, laughter, and the like. Thus the sages have of the previous ages declared, in the world to come, there is neither e eating or drinking, Rather, all righteous will sit with their crowns on their heads and delight in the radiance of the divine presence. The Rambam sets forth that Olam Haba is basically this spiritual world where there's absolutely no physicality. It's just soul. There's no physical, there's no physical pleasures, there's no eating, there's no nothing. Since the life is not accompanied by death, for death it is an event associated with the body alone, and in this realm there is no body, it is called the bond of life. As it says, and the soul of, of my master will be bound up in the bonds of life. This is the reward above which there is no higher reward and the good beyond which there can be no other good. This, is the, this was the good desired by all the prophets. Okay, so it's just this, this abstract world of just spirit, no physicality. Unless you think lightly of this good, i.e. the world to come, Imagining that the word for the mitzvahs and for a person following, completing the paths of truth is for him to eat and drink good foods, wear garments of linen and lace, dwell in ivory palaces, use pencils of gold and silver, or other similar ideas as conceived by the foolish, decadent Arabs who are flooded with lewdness. Right? We know what they believe a martyr gets in the world to come. So he says that's nonsense, that's foolishness. In contrast, the sages of men of knowledge know that all these matters are vain and empty things without any purpose. They're only considered of great benefit to us in this world because we possess a body in physical form. Namely, all physicality, it's just because we're in a body in this world. We only have desires and ta'ava for, for the things, a nice piece of steak, a nice house, whatever it is, because we're currently in a body. But that's not in essence who we are. All these matters are needs of the body. The soul only desires them and lusts for them because of the needs of the body. So that it desires, its desires will be fulfilled and its health maintained. In a situation where there is no body, all of these matters will be nullified. Namely, you won't have a desire for these anymore. There is no way in this world to grasp and comprehend the ultimate good which the souls will experience in the world to come. We only know bodily good, and that is what we desire. However, that ultimate good, 
is overwhelmingly great and cannot be compared to the good of the world except in metaphoric sense. Maybe all the metaphors, which we're going to touch upon some of them, they talk about the physicality that there's going to be in the world to come. It's just a metaphor because we who live in a physical body, we only know that type of experience. And so therefore we can't imagine or relate to anything that's beyond that. The sages did not use the expressions the world to come with the intention implying, and this is an important point here, implying that the realm does not exist at the present, right? Meaning, you know, uh, uh, Ruven's Olam Haba and Shimon's Olam Haba, they all happen when? Right? They all happen immediately after that person dies. A person dies and his soul goes to Olam Haba. So there's this world going on now in which we all live. And then there's Olam Haba, which happens immediately after a person's death, which is in a sense simultaneously happening, if you can say such a thing in a realm that doesn't really, is not bound by time, but it's happening right now as well. So it's not that it doesn't exist at the present realm, which will be destroyed, and then the realm will come into being. It's not like this world has to end, and then there's going to be an olam haba. Rather, the world come, the world to come exists and is present as is implied by, by Tehillim. As it is said, okay. How great is the good that you have hidden, which you have made. And it's only called the world to come. So why is it called olam haba? Why is it called the world to come? Because that life comes to a man after the life in this world in which we exist as souls enclosed in bodies. The realm of existence is present to all men at first. So I think it's, pretty, it's a pretty straightforward shot, pretty simple understanding of what Olam Haba is, and maybe one that we all grew up with and had in the back of our minds, perhaps. But not all of, of the Rishonim uh, felt this way. Right? For instance, the Ramban in Torah to Adam, the Ramban, a contemporary of the Rambam, in the Shara Gmul, Shara Gmul is a, uh, Torah to Adam is, a, is basically a work in, in Halacha, but Shara Gmul is, is, a, is an essay in a, a very, very long chapter, which deals with all of these issues of, that we're going to be talking about today, very, very long. Um, so throughout this, uh, throughout this year, we'll have tidbits here and there. So Ramban says a completely opposite. He says, Olam Haba, hu Olam Haschar, lo'otan hasha kadosh baruchu mechayei b'tchiyat ha'metim. What's Olam Haba? It is something that's going to happen. This is a reward after Tchiyat HaMetim. Ve'eno olam haneshamot shekabra'anu oto Gan Eden. This is not Gan Eden. Gan Eden is for the souls. We'll talk about what Gan Eden is. But there's Gan Eden, and then there's going to be this Tchiyat HaMetim, where there's resurrection of the dead, and that is Olam Haba. Right? Um, olam HaTchiyahu. Tchiyat HaMetim is the first stage that happens before Olam Haba. So in the eyes of the Ramban, Olam Haba is actually very physical, right? There's going to be Tkat we're going to have bodies. Everything's going to be all good. We'll be eating cake or, or pizza chim like, like some of our boys here are eating. It's going to be wonderful, right? But physicality, very, very different from that of the, uh, of the Ramban. Now, where does this Machloket stem from? Like, where do they get this from? Because it doesn't say too much in Chazal. It doesn't say anything in the Torah. So why, does, why would the Ram, Rambam say something that is so ephoral, so, so spiritual and detached from any physicality. And the Ramban take an approach, which is no, it's, it's about the goof now in, in, its, in, its, uh, in its prime form after Tchiat HaMetim. So interesting, much has to do with how they view uh, the statements of Chazal, because within Chazal, within the Gemara itself, there are many, um, there are many statements that refer to, to Olam Haba as being something physical, right? There's a, a We'll see the Rambam quote some of them later, but that 
that they were going to sit there at this big suda, right? We're going to have someone asked me in one of my classes the other day if the Leviathan is kosher, right? This big fish that was created. Are we going to, because we're eating it at Olam Haba, right? So is it kosher? Are we really eating a fish there? If it's a fish, if you're just a, a, a spirit, where's the fish? There's a, a in Gemara Brachos talks about there's a machloket, a, a agarata of who's going to have the kosher bracha at Berkat Amazon in Olam Haba. Right, so all these things talk about we're going to have these crowns on our hands. All of these things sound like there's a physicality to it. So how do we make sense of all these agatha? So the Rambam actually, in his Hakdama Leperakachelik, where he speaks about much of these things, he says there there are three different groups of people of how to approach uh, agatha and Chazal. Okay, the first group are those that um, everything that Chazal say, every. every Every word of it is to be taken literal. Ah, it doesn't match with, with the reality. It doesn't match with science. It doesn't ma match with physics. Physics is wrong. Science is wrong. Chazal said it. So then you have to take it literal. The Ramban, I'm, I will, I'll say it outside. The Ramban says these people are, they think they're being tzaddikim, but they're actually, it's a, a disgrace to Torah because they're taking the words of Chazal and they're making it into into jokes. They're making it into something, making light of it. Right? Not light of it, they're making it into just nonsense. So he says, these people are, are being, having a disgrace to Torah. The second group of people, which he says is a very, also a very big group, they also understand the words of Chazal, all of these agarata, as to be literal, but they take the opposite approach. They say, obviously it's not true because it goes against the laws of nature, right? And he says, this group is even worse. Why? Because they're making fun of Chazal. They say, oh, look what Chazal say. They say, there's going to be this and there's going to be that. That doesn't make any sense. How could such a thing be? Chazal are just a bunch of clowns. And this group also is, is, this is a cursed group because they make light of, of words of a Chachamim. And then comes the third group. And the Rambam says, the third word, These are a few individuals. You can't even call them a group of people. And they understand that what? The words of Chazal and Agarata, they're a mashal, they're a metaphor. Chazal are trying to tell us something very, very deep. And they're using analogy and story to go ahead and, and give us that idea. Because sometimes that's the best, and in a sense, the only way to have to, 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 to translate and transfer deep ideas. It has to be through analogy. It has to be through metaphor. And if we misunderstand what they're saying, either we take it, we take it literally, then we miss the whole point. And we made light of Chazal. In that sense, the Rambam says, we have to look at the words of Chazal and we have to say, does this match, does this match reality, i.e. the laws of nature? If it doesn't match the laws of nature, then we should not take it literally. And we should take it as a metaphor and try to understand what the metaphor is about. But the Ramban, the Ravid, and others, a lot of other Rishonim say, no, if Chazal said something, then that's what they meant. And it should be taken literally. Why? Well, you don't think Hashem could do miracles? And this, actually, how to look at the words of Chazal touches on a much deeper machloket in terms of how do you, how do you view Hashem's interaction and relationship with the laws of nature? Right? The, the, the Ramban and others say that... Um, Hashem changes the laws of nature all the time. Everything is a miracle. There's a famous Ramban in Parshas Bo. Everything's a miracle and Hashem does this. He could do this tomorrow without the blink of an eye. It doesn't bother him. But the Rambam says, no, Hashem set the laws of, of nature and does not want to go ahead and change the laws of nature just without any specific reason. And therefore, if any 
any uh, words of Chazal don't say something which doesn't match, they describe something which doesn't match uh, the laws of nature, it should be understood as an analogy. And the Ramban says this in back in Hilchot Shuva. He says this explicitly. He goes ahead and he takes all these analogies and he says it's all metaphorical. From that statement, it is clear that there is no body for there is no eating or drinking. Consequently, the statements, the righteous sit, must be interpreted metaphorically, i.e. the righteous exist there without work or labor. Similarly, the phrase, their crowns on their head, also metaphor, implying that they will possess the knowledge that they grasped, which allowed them to merit the life of the world to come. This will be their crown, all metaphorical. What is meant by the expression, delight in the radiance of the divine presence, that they will comprehend the truth of godliness, which they cannot grasp while in the dark and humble body. The sages refer to this good, which is prepared for the righteous with the metaphor, the feast, as we mentioned, there's this huge feast that's gonna happen. We're getting to Leviathan and there's gonna be a whole, a whole who's gonna get the kosher bracha? Is it gonna be Avram? Is it gonna be David? Generally it's referred to with the terms to world to come. Everything is an analogy. Many of the Rishonim did not like the Rambam's points on this. Here you see the Ravid. The Ravid comments there, the Hasagas Ravid. Many people don't know this, but the Ravid was actually, uh, at the time of the Rambam, he was the Gadol Hador. He was much greater than the Rambam. Right? They, they sent, what happened was, they sent the Mishnah Torah. The Rambam wrote it. He was a young man. He was finished it in the early 40s, wrote it in his 30s. They sent it to the Ravid to go ahead and give his opinion. What do you think of, of this book? And so the Ravid went ahead and he wrote his commentary on it saying, I disagree with that. That doesn't make any sense. All this and that and the other. And so here's a great example of where the Ravid doesn't have any problem uh, picking a fight with the Rambam. And he quotes the Rambam saying, that the rabbi called all of this a metaphor, um, referring to the Suda that's mentioned in, in Mesech Brachot. So Amar Avram, the Ravid says, Im zuhi suda in bracha. Well, this is a suda's metaphor, so there's no kosher bracha. Come on. The The Rambam should have kept his mouth shut. Right? Put a cork in it. That is uh, that is what the Ravid has to say. Meaning the Ravid is taking this thing to be a very literal. That Olam Haba is there's going to be a suda, it's going to be after Tchiatamitim, like the the Ramban says. This machloket, whether there's going to be olam haneshamot and that's olam haba, or olam haba is the, the final destination is going to be this tchiat hametim, and then we're all in this olam haba in this world with physical bodies, really touches on a much much uh, a more important machloket, which is what is the essence of a human being? Uh, who are we? What are we? So the Ramban, who is a little more inclined to the to the mystical view, views are the human being as basically physicality, right? we are from Adama, but we also have uh, uh, the breath of God that's, that's breathed into us. We are both physical and spiritual at the same time. And the goal of man is to take that physicality and to raise it up in its spirituality, to have the physical and the spiritual work together. That's the case. It makes sense. It's understandable how the world to come, right? the ultimate good will be this complete perfection in which you have the physical and the spiritual working hand in hand together. But the Rambam does not, uh, does not look uh, kindly upon physicality in general. Here you have in, in uh, Mor Nebuchim. Rambam says like this, the general object of the law is twofold, i.e. the Torah. The Torah has two objectives, but in this world. Number one, the well-being of the soul, spiritual perfection. 
in which the Rambam's eyes is also intellectual perfection, as well as the well-being of the body. We also have to go ahead and prepare ourselves and fix ourselves physical, physically. Well-being of the soul is promoted by correct opinions communicated to the people according to the capacity. So how, how does a person fix his soul? He has proper, he has proper uh, a philosophy on life. He understands what it means that God is one. He understands that Avodah Zarah is bad. He understands all of, all of the, the philosophical truths which are meant to be gleaned from, from the mitzvot, right? But he has to contemplate that. He has to come to those conclusions. So we have the physical perfection and we have the spiritual slash intellectual perfection. Of these two objects, the one, the well-being of the soul or the communication or correct opinion comes undoubtedly first in rank. Right? Most important is the perfection of the soul, of the intellect. But the other well-being of the body, the government of the state and the establishment of the best possible relationships among man is interior in nature and time. If you look at most of the Torah is laws about how to have a society. Don't steal, set up a bait din. Right? Don't, don't do this to your neighbor. You should do this, give tzedakah. All of these, says the Rambam, that is so you have a proper working society. You need a proper working society in order, this is just a prerequisite, in order that you can get to the greater goal, which is the perfection of the mind. Uh, if we're in the middle of a war and there's famine or a pandemic going on, so it's very hard to sit and think about God, to think about philosophy, to think about the greater truths. So we need, we need, so to speak, peace and shalom within the physical world in which many of the laws of the Torah are there to go ahead and set up for us in order that we can get to this more uh, this more uh, 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 spiritual perfection. The second perfection of man consists in his becoming an actual, actual, actually, an actually intellectual, intelligent being, right? an, an active sechel apoel, right? It's an active intellect. He knows about the things in existence as all that a person per, perfect, perfectly developed and capable of his knowing. So the best that a person was given in terms of his ability to understand something intellectually, that's the level that we would achieve in this world. The second perfection certainly does not include any action or good contact, but only knowledge. It's just about what you got up here. It is clear that the second and superior kind of perfection can only be attained when the first perfection has been acquired. For a person that is suffering from great hunger or thirst, heat or cold, cannot grasp an idea, even if communicated by others, much less can he arrive at his own reasoning. But when a person is in possession of the first perfection, then he may possibly acquire the second perfection, which is undoubtedly a superior kind and is alone the source of eternal life. What gets you to Olam Haba? What the, 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 the intellectual uh, uh, truths and philosophies that you've achieved. Not your actions, says the Rambam. Okay. So if that's what man is, right? Man is basically, our point of us being here is to get to this intellectual, this philosophical intellectual correctness. And the body is basically what holds us down. And we need to, so to speak, appease the body and keep it you know, comfortable in order that we can get to it, why in the world to come would I need a body? For what purpose? It was just holding me down this whole time, right? So in a sense, leaving this world is, is letting go of that and allowing the active intellect to go ahead and reach its potential. Okay, so what we saw now until this point was two views of what Olam Haba is. Olam Haba is a world that everybody respectively goes to after they die. It's a world of Nishamot, purely spiritual, or, says the Ramban, Olam Haba is a world that nobody has gotten to yet 
because it's a world that's going to come at the end of time after the resurrection, after Tchiat HaMeitim, in which the soul and the, the soul and the body are going to come back together and reach a, a level of, of perfection. If that's the case, so what's Gan Eden? Right? Because I'll talk about this place, Gan Eden. What's that all about? So the Ramban, in some of the same piece, he says, Let's switch. That's what we want to get to. That's the greatest reward. The reward which comes before that. This is what a person has as soon as he dies. He dies, according to Ramban. This is what we call Gan Right? There's Gan Eden and there's Gehenna. This is kind of like a, a middle ground. It's a waiting room. And you go to a doctor's office, there's a waiting room there. This is the waiting room where your soul is kind of like waiting around for everyone else to die or whatever in order that there can be triatamaitim and we get to the world to come, right? So the question is, is like what type of waiting room do you want to go to where there's like a nice buffet of like food there and you're waiting comfortably or like where somebody accidentally put the heat on like 150 degrees Celsius and now you have to wait in that room until triatamaitim. But that's all it is. It's a waiting room. Interestingly, the tefillah that we have, a prayer for the niftar uh, of, of Kelmel Rachamim, that we say on, uh, on your sites and on, uh, on Yom Kippur, uh, it mentions this idea of Gan Eden, right? But Gan Eden tiyem milchato. There's a prayer that the soul should have rest in Gan Eden. Now it's interesting because that only really works for the Ramban's understanding of Gan Eden, that that's a place where the soul is currently and therefore it needs minucha. The Rambam, Again, in his like Dhamma Perak and Sanhedrin in on the Mishnayot, he says, Gadenen, it's just a garden. It's just like a really nice place. And it's in this world, it's physical, right? And like one day we'll find it and there'll be like nice rivers and nice trees there with like pretty birds, and there might be herbs that you can like make medicine of it. You know, that's all. Nothing, nothing really too relevant. It's a really nice garden. I don't know, maybe Hawaii. I don't know. A lot, I don't, I don't know, someplace in the world. It already exists. Is there any significance to it in terms of the, the trajectory of a, of a human soul? No, it's just a garden, really nice. Maybe there's a bench there, a little fountain. Who knows, right? He doesn't give too much thought to it. Definitely has nothing to do with, uh, with the soul. What's Gehenim? So says the Ramban, Ha'onesh hazeshel Gehenim. After a Russia dies, so he doesn't get to go to Ganadin and wait there, he gets to go to Gehenna. Gehenna is the place where his soul will burn, and it will burn for a long time until it is become cured or there's Tchetamitim. Um, according to the Rambam, what's Gehenna? So the Rambam says, basically, it's also in this world, right? This is this is basically a punishment that's going to happen to uh, to the Rishayim, and they're going to be burnt also. I don't know, maybe there'll be some atomic bomb or something like that, or they'll get really bad fever. It's going to be a bad, bad punishment for for the the uh, Rishayim, but it's in this world, just like Ganadin is in this world. So too, Gehenna is in this world. Nothing spiritual in nature um, whatsoever. So what then is the ultimate? Punishment for the Rishayim. Like, what is it? If 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 Ganeden, sorry, if if uh, Olam Haba is the world of of the soul, where a person can connect and fully to God, so then what is the ultimate punishment 
So the Rambam says, by the way, if anybody has questions or comments throughout, this is not like, uh, you know, please feel free, just shout it out. So Rambam says in Hilchot Shuvah, the reward of the righteous is that they will merit the pleasure and take part in this good, everything that we mentioned above. The retribution of the wicked is that they're not going to merit this life. Rather, they're going to be cut off and die. Whoever does not merit this life is truly dead and will not live forever. Rather, he will be cut off in his wickedness and perish as a beast. Right? Yeah. I was growing up, there was a, right? all dogs go to heaven. Not true, says the Rambam. Dogs don't go to heaven. Dogs die, and that's it. Sorry for anybody who has a pet that died recently. They don't go to heaven. Okay? It's just, they die like a beast. They can't go to heaven. Why can't they go to heaven? Because what is heaven? What is Olam Haba? It's a place of, 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 of reaching philosophical truths. And that your soul now connects to that, connects to God. An animal can't do that. And you know who else can't do that? A human being who lived his life like an animal. If you're just chasing materialism and, and bodily pleasures, so then you haven't reached any intellectual and spiritual achievements, and therefore you die like the beast you lived your life as. This is the intent of the meaning of the term karet in the Torah, as it states the soul, the soul shall surely be cut off. The oral tradition explains karet means to be cut off in this world and tikaret to be cut off in the world to come. After these souls become separated from the bodies in this world, they will not merit the, merit the life of the world to come. Rather, even in the world to come, they will be cut off. All of the synonyms for nullification and the destructions are used to refer to it as the ultimate nullification after which there is no reward, no renewal, and the ultimate loss which can never be recovered. Says the Rambam, what happens to a Russia after he dies? Nothing. He just dies. He just goes into the ground and his soul just disappears. Yeah, Mandy, go for it. Um, so just a quick question. So like a lot of people today might be considered Tinoch Shanishma because they didn't grow up with any education or they didn't know they were Jewish or anything. And yet they lived their life like, uh, like what you'd call, I guess, a dog or an animal. So what category do those people fall into? How, how do we deal with them? Like what, what happens to them? Excellent question. That's an excellent question, Mendy. Um, the Rambam is definitely is an elitist, right? It, it's definitely not to the fault of anybody who didn't know. And, and in a sense, Let's say somebody just doesn't have the intellectual capabilities of reaching these philosophical truths that the Rambam is talking about. Did that person do anything wrong? Those were the talents that God gave him. Those were the genetics. But it sounds like from the Rambam, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, that's, that's just how it's going to be. There's no punishment. It's just not, the, they don't get the natural outcome. Right? That's all it is. It's a natural consequence of reaching these philosophical truths and this spiritual understanding is that when you're detached from your body, so your soul just be, attaches to what it already has become. It's reached a level, that's what it is, and will ex continue to exist on that level, just on a, on a, with connecting to, the, to, to God. So I, it sounds like a Tinuk Shanishba, someone who just didn't know any better. Yeah, pretty tough, pretty tough. In general, the Rambam's elitist view of, of, uh, of Judaism um, you know, puts the, the unique few up there. And everybody else, not comfortable, not a comfortable uh, a thought, uh, but excellent question. Okay. Now, a question that probably uh, bothers uh, many people. Why is none of this mentioned in the Torah? Like, you know, the Torah doesn't 
have any problems going on and on and telling me about how Eliezer came and found Rivka and retelling of the story and all of these other things and the geology of, of Asaph, but like Olam Haba seems like a pretty important thing to leave out. Why is it not mentioned in the Torah? Anybody have an, a thought? Oh, wait. So there, there are a lot of there are a lot of answers that are, are, are given in terms of historical answers, in terms of uh, uh, understanding of where Am Yisrael was, who they were, an intellectual and spiritual level when when the Torah was given. Um, but I wanna I wanna focus on um, really there are two answers, two answers that I wanna focus on, um, and. One is of the Sefer Karim. So the Sefer Karim, he explains, and this is interesting to think about, especially in our generation. If you look at the Torah, the Torah is really, it's not, it's not a document for individuals. It's a document for a nation. And, and, and we have to preface, there are many rewards and punishments that are in the Torah for this world, physical, right? We say it in Shema, there's going to be rain, there's going to be good economics, all of that. So it's not like there isn't this idea of reward and punishment in the Torah. There is. But it's all talking about physical reward in this world. So Sefer Yikaram talks, he explains that the, the Torah was given to a nation. And it's about us fulfilling a certain destiny as a nation. And so therefore, it only talks about national reward. There's going to be peace. There's going to be rain. There's going to be good economics. There's going to be industry. There's not going to be poverty. All of these things are are on a national level. But as individuals of Olam Haba, what does that have to do with the nation? That's a, an individual thing that comes. That's not what the Torah is about. Another interesting answer uh, of that of the Barmanel, based on the Rambam, right? The, the idea that um, the Rambam explains in terms of the reward that's mentioned in this world, of the physical reward, the Rambam says, it's not really as a reward as much as a God kind of helping you out. Namely, that if you're a person who's going to go ahead and, 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 and live the life of the Torah, live the life of Torah and help get these values out into the world, be an orla goyim, right? Be a, a model, an example to everybody else. So Hashem is going to go ahead and make it easier for you to do this by not, you know, not making you poor, by not making you sick and poverty and all that stuff. Now you'll more be able to go ahead and teach Torah and learn Torah and do all these things. But it's not a reward. It's just, here, let me help you go ahead and do it. I'll fund the project, so to speak. And the reason is, is because we should never be doing things for reward. That's not why these things are mentioned. Do them so you get, so you get rain. No, you shouldn't do them so you get rain. But you should know if you do them, you will get rain and I'll help you along the way. Had the Torah talked about real reward, olam haba. So then it would all be low It would be the only reason we're doing it is for the reward, i.e. the reward at the end of the day. And that's not why we should be doing things. We should be doing things because it's the truth. We should be doing things because that's the right thing to do. That's how we should be living our lives. And so therefore, the Torah doesn't get involved with reward and punishment on any level. Um, one more interesting point, and this will bring us, I think, to, to the crux of it, is the Maharal. So the Maral, the Maral explains like this. The Torah itself, 
what's the purpose of the Torah in this world? So the moral explains, we'll say it out, outside, is to go ahead and, and fix this world. It's all about this world. How can we make this world a better place? How can we make a better society? How can we make a better, a better family dynamics? Better interaction between people? A better justice system? How can we have people who are more mentally uh, uh, healthy? All of these things the Torah deals with. So it gives us guidelines in terms of how to do that. But in terms of something, you know, Olam Haba, something that's not connected to this world. So prophecy has, doesn't say anything about that. Not prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu as is in the Torah and not any of the prophets afterwards. It doesn't talk about, about, about Olam, Olam Haba. And I want to say this one point. The Gra takes this, this further. The Gra explains, you know why the Torah doesn't say anything about Olam Haba? Because who cares? Because it's not what it's about. We're not, it's not why we're doing anything. Why, why should the Torah talk about that? We're, we, the point of, of, of life is this world, right? So to make this world a better place, not what comes after. That may, may happen, may not happen, irrelevant. Point is, I mean, it will happen, but the point is, is it's this world. We'll come to that, back to that point. Okay, so where does Tchiat HaMetim fit in? Right, for the Ramban, I think the trajectory of the, of the human soul is pretty clear. Right? We're in this world, then we, a person dies, he either goes to Gehenna, the waiting room of Gehenna or Gan Eden, and then Tchiat HaMetim is the, 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 the time period, a, a, an event that happens, which brings us into the next stage of Olam Haba. And here the Ramban, Ramban explains. Right? We read this from, this is from last time. Is not the world of, of, of the just the souls. There's going to be there's going to be that is a, a stage in the trajectory, and then there's going to be Olam Haba. So the Rambam, Ramban works out nicely. But for the Rambam, how do you make sense of this? Because for the Rambam, why should there be Tchiat HaMetim at all? What is Tchiat HaMetim? We, after this world, you just go straight to Olam Haba. Why would there be a, why would there be any Tchiat HaMetim? So the, Ram, the, Ram, the Ram, Rambam actually got into a, uh, a lot of heat for this because there were many who claimed that he didn't believe in Tchiat HaMetim, which is a little weird because Tchiat HaMetim, resurrection of the dead, is one of his 13 principles of faith. So why would he put it as one of the 13 principles of faith and then not believe in it? In any case, the Rambam defends himself. The reason that people thought that is because he doesn't write a lot about it at all in his writings. And therefore, afterwards, he actually had to write a, a, a whole article, a whole, a whole response, a rebuttal to the claims that he doesn't believe it. And that was the Ma'amar Tchiat HaMetim. But first, what does the Rambam say about it in Perak HaChelek? Tchiat HaMetim, hu yisod, yisod Moshe Rabbeinu. It's one of the, the principles of faith. You don't believe in this, then you're, you're, you're a heretic. But you should know that not everybody's resurrected. Some people will be resurrected. Some Sadiqim, I don't know. Moshe, Aaron, I don't know. Avram. Majority of people, they won't be resurrected. And furthermore, after the resurrection of the dead, you know what's going to happen? People are going to die again. What, you think they're going to live forever? You can't live forever. Anything which is physical must die. Those are the laws of nature. And if you're the Rambam, so things have to stick to the laws of nature. So there's going to be a resurrection of some people, 
I don't know who they are going to be. And then they're going to die again. Now, why would, so then what's the whole point of it? Why would you have resurrection of the dead? Right? Like, for what? So the Rambam in his, in his rebuttal, in, 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 in Matmar you can, it's much longer than, than this piece, but he basically explains, I'll say it outside, that it's a one-time event, and the truth is, the point of the, of the belief, why it's a fundamental belief, is that it could happen, right? That you believe, yeah, there could even be a Tchathamitim. God can even do that. I believe God can do that. Will he do that? Maybe show off his powers, you know, big flex, right? But but does it have any importance? No, no real importance. Now the interesting thing and the, and the problem really for the Rambam is is you have this, you know, you can imagine, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu is up there and he's he's Olam Haba. He's like, wow, this is great. No body, no food. I'm just just me and God chilling. And then all of a sudden. God wants to flex, so he's like, Moshe, I need to borrow your soul for just one second. I'm going to throw you back down on earth. Right? And Moshe wakes up, and he's alive again, and he's walking around, and he's like, oh, my God, I'm here again? I, we did this. I got 120 years in this world. Why are you throwing me back down on earth? Right? It, it seems like problematic. Why would God do that to the tzaddikim to take them out of Olam Haba and throw them into this world in a physical body when, like, that's the least thing that they want? So becomes a... Uh, problematic uh, in that respect. Um, okay. The Messianic era. Right, Mashiach. Where does Mashiach fit in all this? Like, what, What's this all about? So the truth is there is a, a, a machlok, a very important machlok in the Gemara Brachot about this. Um, machlok is talking about all of the, 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 the wonderful physical things that um, that the Nevi'im talk about. Right? What is that referring to? What error is that referring to? So Gemara says like this. Ruchia Bar Abba says in the name of Yochanan, Kol Nevi'im, Kulan lo Mashiach. All of that great stuff they're talking about where like, you know, money's growing off of the trees and 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 uh, and the, the, the wolf and the, and the lamb are going to lie together and they're not going to eat each other. All of that, that's talking about Yorot Mashiach. It's going to be this magical, awesome time. Um, but Shmuel says, What are you talking about? You think it's going to be magical? The only difference between now and the days of Mashiach is just going to be whether we have our own, uh, you know, our, our own kingship, we have our own government, or there's no persecution, or we're free to, you know, do what we want. Right? As he says, and this is an important point, the Pasuk says, because they say there will always be poor people, meaning even the times of Mashiach, there's going to be poor people. There's going to be poverty, there's going to be poverty, there's going to be war, there's going to be all of the issues that we have in the Mashiach, but it's going to be on our own land and with our own rules. Okay, so how do we paskin? We paskin like or we paskin like Shmuel? So it's interesting, you look at the Rambam, Rambam says like this. This is in uh, uh, in the Mishnah Torah. So the King Messiah will arise and reestablish the monarchy of David as it was in former times. He will build the sanctuary and gather in the dispersed of Israel. All of the earlier statutes will be restored as they once were, 
sacrifices will be offered. We have a Beit Hamikdash. We're going to have Shemitah and Yovel years as the commandments in the Torah. And anyone who does not believe in him, who does not anticipate his coming, not only denies the prophets, but also the Torah and Moses, our teacher. So believing in Walter Mashiach is an important thing. It should not occur to you that the king of the Mashiach, Malach Mashiach, must bring wondrous signs or perform miracles or invert new things or revive the dead or anything like those fools say. It is not so. Why? This proof. For Rabbi Kiva, one of the wisest of the sages, so Rabbi Kiva thought who? He thought that Bar Kochva was Mashiach. What was Bar Kochva? Bar Kochva, some years after uh, the destruction of the Second Temple, so there was a revolt against the Romans. And Bar Kochva was heading it, and he was trying to go ahead and restore sovereignty to Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. And Rabbi Kiva said, yeah, let's go, let's do this. This is the Mashiach, Melchim Mashiach. But what happened? Uh, there was no miracles. It was just a, it was just an, uh, just a war. But nonetheless, you see that Rabbi Kiva thought he was Mashiach, even though there was no miracles, even though nothing miraculous was happening. It was just natural. Now, in the end, he was a Mashiach. Why? because Bar Kochva died and the revolt failed. Now, if a king should arise from the house of David who was versed in the Torah and engaged in the commandments as, as did David, his forefather, in accordance with both the written and the oral Torah, and he enjoins all of Israel to follow in his ways and encourage them to repair the breaches and he fights the war, wars of God, then he behaves with the Mashiach, right? You get all the checks on, the on your list, you check off all the boxes, you get a little Mashiach, hello, my name is Mashiach, okay? If it succeeds in the efforts and defeats the enemies around and builds the sanctuary in his proper place and gathers the person of Israel, he is definitely the Mashiach. But if he does not succeed in these manners or is killed, we will know that he was not the one the Torah promised. Rather, he's merely considered like another exemplary and qualified king in the house of David who has died. We give him a big pat on the back, Yeshakoach, but he's not the Mashiach. Now, what happens after Mashiach does come? It should not occur to you that during the days of Mashiach, a single thing from the ways of the world will be canceled, nor will there be something novel in the creation. Rather, the world will continue in its customary ways. No miracles. It's just going to be the way that it was. So how does he understand all of the prophecies? The wolf will lie with the sheep and the leopard shall lie with the kid. It is a, parallel, it's a riddle. It's an analogy. The substance of the matter is that Israel will dwell in safety and the wicked of the world who are there? Who are compared to the wolves and tigers, as it sells a wolf in the desert? Okay, they're the wolves. We're the kid. We're the lamb. So there's going to be peace, right? The nations of the world are not going to bother us. There's just going to be peace and war. So if I stopped here, who would you say the Rambam is possibly like? Mashiach is going to come. There's going to be no miracles. Everything, all of these, these you know, fanciful prophecies are all analogies. So who's the Rambam possibly like? Is he possibly like Rabbi Chia? Or Shmuel. What do you guys think? Call it out. Shmuel. Shmuel. Why Shmuel? Everything's going to be natural. So everything's going to be natural, right? That's what it seems at first glance. And if you stopped here, I would agree with you. The issue is the Rambam continues. I even quote Shmuel. Our sages have said that there's no difference between this world and the days of Mashiach, except our, our, our subservience to the kingdoms of the, of the world alone. The sages and the prophets did not long for the days of, the, of Mashiach because they wanted to rule the world or because they wanted to have dominion 
over the non-Jews or because they wanted the nations to exalt them or because they wanted to eat, drink, or, and be merry. Nonsense. That's not why they wanted it. Rather, they desired this so that they would have time for Torah and its wisdom. And there would be no one who would oppress them or force them to be idle from Torah. This in order that they merit the world to come, as explains regarding the laws of repentance. Namely, what is the point of Mashiach coming for us? So that we can sit and we don't have to run away from pogroms and we don't have to you know, beg for food. That we'll have just a, a clear mind where we can sit and learn Torah. We can sit and philosophize on the deeper truths of life. In a certain respect, that's kind of exciting because I don't know if you want to say that we're at the beginning, halt of the Google or whatever we are, Mashiach. I mean, all of us can sit more or less and learn. We can, you know, you want to learn Torah, you can go online and you can learn Torah. You can go to all of these websites, VBM, YU Torah, Safaria, you name it, Chabad.org, you name it. It's all in front of you. And nothing is stopping any of us from learning it. Right? You want to learn philosophy? Go to Crash Course and see the Green Brothers and learn a little bit about philosophy. Right? There's nothing is stopping us. We're not living in poverty. We're not living with pogroms. We're not living in persecution. So in a sense, we have a little bit of that Yemota Mashiach that the, that the sages for generations, for centuries have longed for. We have it today. Now, here's the last paragraph of the Rambam. And at that time, there will be no famines, no wars, no envy, and no competition. For the good will, will be very pervasive. And all the delicacies will be readily available as is dust. Right? You'll have little, you know, uh, 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 lint chocolates growing from the tree. Kosher. I don't know you. See all around it. The world will be only, only be engaged in knowing God. Then there will be very wise people who understand the deep sealed manners. Who's the Rambam Paskini like? What does the Rambam say is going to be here? There's not going to be any war or poverty or hunger. The problem is, is Shmuel says explicitly that there's going to be poverty. Right? So the Rambam, it seems, and Allah Mishnah explains like this, is that the Rambam's borrowing the phrase of Shmuel, but he really poskins like Rav Baraba. It's going to be this magical time. But the thing is, how is this miraculous time going to happen? It's going to happen naturally. Right? Mashiach is going to come naturally. And all the good that they envisioned of no poverty, of being able to sit and learn, it's all going to happen naturally. Society is going to develop in which these things are taken care of, where we're not at war with each other, where there's peace amongst the nations, where there isn't poverty because our economic system is strong enough and where literally you can go to the store. You don't have to work your feet. You can go to No Frills and buy a loaf of bread for $2. Right, which is which is bukkas. You think of the time of the Rambam, you all that two ducks, I can get a loaf of bread. You know how much work needs to go into making a loaf of bread, but it's literally kind of almost in a sense growing from the trees. Anything you want, it happens in a natural sense. So he poskins like Rabbi Bar Abba, but in line in line with the Rambam's general philosophy on how things happen, it happens in a non miraculous way, in a natural way. Okay, what we have here then is basically, I think, more or less, two very distinct paradigms and, and worldviews of what's going to happen, right? For the Rambam, a very rationalist, uh, uh, that, that everything is happening naturally. 
we're in this world. We're basically a soul trapped in a human body. And our, our goal in this world is to just to perfect our intellect, just to perfect our spiritual side. Gehenna and Gan Eden are in this world, a nice garden and a really you know, hot summer day in Nevada or something like that, right? That's what, that, that's what those two are. After a person, Yemot Mashiach is going to be a, an, an, an era in which people can now, with the greatness of Yemot Mashiach is that people can now, they can get wisdom. It's at, the, it's at their fingertips. They can go online and get any wisdom they want, just like that, without persecution, without being chased down. And they can put on tefillin and walk on the streets of Yerushalayim with tefillin on their heads and talis on their back, and nobody will say, mom. All right? After all that, a person has reached this perfection, this spiritual intellectual perfection. So then what happens? A person dies, and their soul goes to the world of the souls and connects with God, and everything reaps the benefit of everything that they accomplished in that world. A person who was a Russia just doesn't get that because he hasn't reached it. Right? According to the Ramban, who we are in this world is a soul and a body together. And our objective, our, the, what the Torah wants for us is to bring that perfection of the synthesis between body and soul. And Yemot, and Olam Haba is going to be basically and the final good is when we live that ideal reality where there's perfection, a perfect synthesis between body and soul. And Ganeinen and Gehenem are just waiting rooms until that happens. When I think about, you know, Rav Goldberg, I, I, Baruch Hashem, I have been in many Batei Midrashot in my life, and I have been surrounded by many Rabbanim and Talmud Chachamim. There's something very unique about Rav Goldberg. Out of all the Rabbeim, the great Talmud Chachamim that I've met, Rav Goldberg had this certain joy and smile when he taught Torah. It was like, it was like you made his day, like he won the lottery when he got to share some Torah with you. When you sit at the breakfast table or you run into him in the hallway or you're sitting in his shear and, and, and you, you just had that connection with him, he was just the happiest man in the world, right? Joy for him, ultimate joy for him was being able to share Torah with another Jew, with another person. And he wasn't a person who said, I'm doing all of this in this world for Olam Haba. Whatever Olam Haba is. If I, if I said Rav Goldberg, you know, Rav Goldberg, we just got prophecy back and, you know, Hashem, he, he made a, a change in the contract. There is no Olam, Olam Haba. Sorry, it's canceled. Like, would Rav Goldberg take off his hat and say, well, then forget it. I'm just, I'm throwing in the towel. No, Rav Goldberg would say, okay, and I'm going to give shir now. I'm going to continue learning Torah. I'm going to teach you teaching Torah because that's my Olam Haba in this world. That's who I am. That's what he was. It was never about I'm doing something because I need to get to this place. It's because that is who I am. And I think that's that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate, you know, Gan Eden. That's the ultimate Olam Haba, that a person can live their life in this world. They can attach to Torah and Judaism. That, that's who I am. And that brings me the ultimate pleasure. We should continue learning Torah. You know, we should continue living the values that Rav Goldberg uh, imparted in us, you know, the difference that he made in all of our lives. Uh, anybody who's on the Zoom and, and, and many people who are not on the Zoom, they all know what a special personality he was, that he had that joy. Um, and it should be a schut for him. It should be a schut for him that this is how we commemorate who he was, that we're sitting together and learning Torah 
and, and, and what Torah means to us. So big yashikoch for everybody uh, coming out on a Sunday morning uh, to learn together in his memory. Um, and uh, yeah, there should be a male at share and a, and a schuss for all of us. Yashikoch, everybody. Yashikoch. Any questions, feel free. Otherwise, everyone's welcome to scatter amongst themselves. Yeah. That was awesome. That was amazing. It was excellent. Thank you. Good to see you all. Good to see you, Mendy. Excellent. Yeah.